0: Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
1: And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're taking you through the best pits of I Am Malala, Uh, spoiler alert here, the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban. That is a real
0: spoiler, isn't it? It I suppose everyone knows the story.
1: No, I didn't necessarily. And uh, Malala Youth Society is the name.
0: (laughs) There you go. You had to Google
1: that to pronounce it I think we got there.
0: When Malala was born in Pakistan, people commiserated with her mother. Nobody congratulated her father. She says that she was a girl in a land where rifles are fired in celebrations of a son, but daughters are hidden away behind a curtain. Their role in life simply to prepare food, clean the home, and give birth to more children.
1: As she grew up in her local neighborhood, she made friends with another family in the street, and she became pals with a daughter about the same age. So the five of them tried to play cricket on the streets together, but... She knew as she got older, she wouldn't be allowed to play with, her, with the other mates out there.
0: The two daughters, they were going to be expected to stay home and cook and serve their brothers and fathers. And while boys and men could roam freely about town, Malala and her mother, they could not go outside without a male relative to accompany them. So if her mum wanted to go to the bazaar to pick up some food, at the very least, she had to bring her five-year-old son with her just so that she wasn't outside alone without a male. That is insane.
1: So, the five-year-old lad is, is looking after the mother. So, this is a different planet
0: to what we're used to. It's <laughs> same insane, planet, man. Same planet, but yeah, different different country, I suppose, yeah. Different. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, very, very different. Seems like hey. a different planet, maybe. Seems like a different planet. But for Malala, she was looking around and uh, she was obviously inspired from for some things and she thought, hey, I'm never going to be like that in my life. I'm going to be a bit different. And maybe it was her father who planted the seed because she'd tell anyone out there who would listen, look, Malala's going to be different. She's going to be
0: as free as a bird. She dreamed of going uh, to the top of Mount Elum. She like Alexander the Great. She wanted to touch Jupiter. But as she watched her brothers running across the rooftops, flying their kites, skillfully flicking the strings back and forth to cut each other down, she started wondering how free a girl in her country could ever be.
1: Malala's father came from a large family, so he had one older brother and five sisters, and they were from the city of Bakhana, uh, in which they... It was very, very primitive. So they all lived together in one little ramshackled house with a bit of mud for the roof, and it kind of leaked with water and got really cold anytime it rained
0: and snowed. As in most Pakistani families, all the women and girls stayed home while the men went to work and the boys went to school. The father said, you know, the young girls in his village. They're just they're just sitting around at home. They're just waiting to get married.
1: It's not not much of a very exciting life, you could say, for those who are just sitting around waiting to get married and that's all. And school wasn't the only thing that the aunts and the cousins they missed out on. Every morning, you know, even when they're trying to get a bowl of ice cream to add to the tea. Uh, the sisters, oh, oh,
0: they just I think just a little dash of cream, maybe not a bowl of ice cream in the tea. Geez, <laughs> that was a bit of a Freudian. Freudian sleep.
1: And the sisters, they were just given black tea only, where their friends were given the Neapolitan uh, ice cream to go with the tea. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> of, maybe a bit of honeycomb in that tea. It's as still well, with though, eggs, though, mate. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't
1: do well here because I love my omelette every morning. So the eggs, they went to the boys, and uh, eggs never went to the girls.
0: Yeah, if there was a chicken slaughtered for the family dinner, the girl's got the tough, the, the wings and the neck while the boy's got that juicy, delicious breast meat. You know, the father was saying just from early on, he could just feel he was kind of treated differently from his sisters.
1: So Malala's father thought there was nothing more important than knowledge and learning. So even though he had no contacts and no money, he always had this big, lifelong
0: dream that he wanted to be someone who opened a school. When he went to school, it was just a small, one small building, most of the Classes were taught actually on the bare ground outside under a tree, but like the millions of girls in the country, his sisters they did not go to school at all. He felt pretty lucky to have the gift of education, um, even if it meant there were no dunnies, and he had to when nature called, he had to head out to the the fields out the back to uh, do his business. So he
1: thought the the lack of education was the root of all Pakistan's problems. Ignorance was what allowed politicians to fool people and. The shitty administrations to get re-elected, the ones who are really corrupt. He believed that school should be available for everyone, right? Like, so rich, you're poor, boys, and most importantly, girls. So this was his dream, and even though the pay was miserable, you're not going to be earning the big bucks. He's on 1,600 rupees a month, which is what 20 bucks a month. But he imagined the freedom that would could come, and, and the, the change he could bring in the world if he was able to run a school of his own. So this independent thought he wanted to encourage. Uh, and he hated the way most schools rewarded obedience instead of open-mindedness and creativity.
0: So after working as a teacher for a little bit, he decided to set up his own shop. He'd set out with pretty lofty ambitions. Uh, he sort of got everything done up. He uh, he created those dunnies so people didn't have to go out to the fields. He had desks, he had chairs. Everything was kind of ready for the big launch, but unfortunately not that many were, uh, were convinced of... Uh, of his uh, of his grand vision, because on the first day of school, he only had three students. Three
1: students. Most people. It's a pretty small school. Yeah, pretty small school. You almost <laughs> just pack up shop, wouldn't you? Pretty yeah. awkward for the third student who rocks up and goes, "Is this it?" <laughs> <You> <laughs> probably going trying to find another school. So it was it was pretty wild ride at the start. Hardly anyone rocked up, but eventually Johnny number four rocked up, and then there was number five. Eight, and all of a sudden, he got 15. So it's was pretty hustling and bustling in class at this stage. Yeah,
0: he wasn't deterred from the very start. He'd always start the school day with the, the national anthem and raising the flag. And even from you know, those very measly numbers, early days, he was still giving it his all. And eventually, it grew and grew and grew. And he eventually created a second school. And then he had, then he had a third school. And for Malala, she was kind of loving it. She was just a very young child at this point. And she says that this, basically, the school was her playground. When she was a toddler, she just roamed around to the different classrooms, sat on a different class you know went up and sat up the front with the teachers and sometimes tried to mimic what the teachers were teaching and basically she says she grew up in a school
1: she was doing everything badminton drama cricket art even singing although she wasn't that very good at singing like a lot of us but that was a really important thing that she got the opportunity to go for it and at the age of seven she was the top of her class she was obsessed with education and And she'd be the one out there, Lisa Simpson out the front, putting her hand up, being a bit of a nerd, helping out all her pupils if they had any difficulties.
0: That's right. But then tensions started to rise. This new bloke rolled into town. He called himself the Mufti. Uh, which is like a, an Islamic scholar or, an, or a, uh, an authority on Islamic law, even though he wasn't actually a mufti. he was more of a self-anointed thing. Yeah. Self-proclaimed like, mufti. If I was just like, yeah, I'm a bit of a you know, professor of something, just oh claiming God. it. You're not yeah. actually a professor, but you're claiming that you are. But, uh, There's a lot what... of
1: doctors out there like that. You can get a <laughs> yeah. doctor of anything. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Cause they've got...
0: actually got a they've done the, no, they've no, the no like a, paper. You've got a
1: doctor of engineering. You've got a doctor yeah. of philosophy. You're not a doctor.
0: I'm oh, probably right, offended got, about
1: a good chunk of it. If the they audience. got
0: the piece of paper. I'm saying this guy, he's just claiming it without the, without the backing, you know? Yeah. So
1: I'd <laughs> see doctors as, a, as your traditional yeah. one, but maybe I'm um, outdated, man. I think, you're off, there, I think okay. you're off.
0: <laughs> Sorry, doctors. <laughs> so the, the school was kind of going all right. You know, the, the dads, uh, they had about 800 students at this time. Malala's mother, she was able to buy nice clothes for the first time. But this new Mufti roaming around town, he'd been watching this whole time.
1: So he said, I'm representing good Muslims and we think your girl's school is haram and a blasphemy. You, get, you have to close it. Girls should not be going to school. A girl is so sacred she should be in purdah, and so private that there's no lady's name in the Quran as God doesn't want her to be named.
0: There was a bit of back and forth. Malala's dad was saying, well, there actually is a woman in the Quran uh then they kind of got into the knee-gritty back and forth fighting over if, if she was actually in it or if she was just there as a bit of a as a figure piece. But I think Malala's
1: and, father rolled in by the sounds of it.
0: If someone claimed to be a mufti who's the expert on all things, you know, Islamic teachings, he he might have got one wrong there, or might have been reading his own version of it. But then Malala's father just turned to the he the mufti had assembled a, a bunch of esteemed gentlemen from around town, and the Malala's father said, "You know, when this man." This uh, you know self-acclaimed mufti, when he passed me on the street, I look at him, I greet him, uh, I give him a nice greeting, assalamu alaikum, uh, but he doesn't answer. He just bows his head and looks away from me. The mufti, he looked a bit of It doesn't barren.
1: sound like a big deal, but I think in that culture, if you're saying assalamu alaikum, you just say back give it back. Middle, yeah. I think it's Miller comes to lie or whatever, straight back as just a, as your default. So it's a bit of an asshole, in other words, <laughs> I think.
0: It was yeah, and he, he turns to the he turns to the esteemed gentleman and says, Well, you know, you're you're running this haram school, that's why I don't want to greet you. And then but then one of the other guys in the back who was just kind of listening and watching on this whole time, he said, You know, I heard rumours that you're an infidel, but I'm in your home now and I see Qurans everywhere. And he says, well, of course, of course, there are Qurans. I'm a Muslim just like you. You know, we pray to the same God. We read the same teachings. So, there's a bit of a bit of a tension here, I guess, in ideologies.
1: Eventually, I got back to the discussion of the school and the Mufti said, look, there's men in um, reception and I'll see the girls enter the school. They they shouldn't be entering the same spot. This is really bad. So, they found a compromise. Uh, Malala's father, he said, look, the school has another gate. I'll let the girls enter through the other gate and... You know, they weren't happy really, either of them, on where they compromised, where they ended the discussion there and moved on.
0: Malala was ten years old when the Taliban first came to the valley. It seemed to her like the Taliban, they kind of arrived in the middle of the night like vampires. They just kind of appeared seemingly out of nowhere. They always sort of traveled in groups. They had knives and kalashnikovs. Jeez. just rolling around. It's a pretty serious weapon to be carrying around with you. Um, she said they had their black turbans. She said to her they always kind of seemed dirty. They seemed, I guess, like different. It was, it was, I suppose, it'd be pretty intimidating to have those people just rolling in out of, out of nowhere unexpectedly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they wore black badges. It said some wild stuff, Shariat ya Shahadat, which is Sharia law or martyrdom, and sometimes black turbans. So their, their leader was Mulana Sufi Muhammad, And he was the founder of the, we'll call it the TNSM movement or in English, the movement for the enforcement of Islamic law. So, they were going hard at this stuff and the group was founded by Sufi Muhammad and they had men who'd already fought in Afghanistan and had, you know, fought and died for the Taliban. In um,
0: 2002, there was a bit of a roundup of militant leaders and Sufi Muhammad, he was chucked in, in prison. And so, a new bloke stepped up, Fazlullah. He stepped up and he what he first did really to sort of take hold was he started this illegal radio station. It became pretty popular. You know, he kind of uh, entered the arena at the perfect time. He was kind of able to seize the, the the zeitgeist a little bit and really started to spread messages quite, I guess, tamely and quite moderately at first. Um, and then gradually ramping it up to more extreme and more aggressive views over the months once he'd sort of built an established loyal following
1: yeah, well, there's something that everyone wasn't happy with now is just the corruption of the government. So speaking of the corruption of the government, we're going to clean all this up. You're probably going to get a strong base to begin with, and then probably a bit of commitment and consistency once people commit to that person, they're probably going to stick with him, and he's got he can actually through that influence. Um, take people a bit more extreme than they would be otherwise but he got pretty extreme didn't he
0: yeah one example after he'd sort of you know for you know building slowly for months and months getting a bit of a following then he says okay well we've got this apparent polio vaccine that's supposed to be rolling into town but you know a fuzz Lula, he said no actually this is an american plot the Americans are coming in here to give us this bizarre you know, thing that we don't know anything about. They say it's a vaccine, but really it's actually a plot to make Muslim women infertile so that the people in our country will all eventually die out. And uh, Fazlullah, he says, to cure a disease before its onset is not in accordance with Sharia law, so you will not find a single child drink a single drop of this vaccine anywhere in our village.
1: Jeez, sounds a bit like the Alex Jones version, doesn't he? Of <laughs> yeah. Pakistan. That's right. You got into Jonesy a fair bit. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. yeah. What, was the, what was the most extreme one? The Chinese, was the Chinese intestinal babies eating them or something like that. There's <laughs> a lot of that stuff going. So, pretty similar. But one day, Sufi, he proclaimed from jail that there should be no education for women, full stop. And he said, if someone can show any example in history where Islam allows a female madrasa a Madrasa, they can come and piss on my beard that's a pretty strong statement <laughs> that's
0: right it's like a school for you know for teaching effectively but yeah it's a he's putting a bit of skin in the game there He's saying if there's any evidence of this you know come piss on my beard so he's pretty, pretty confident weird in his request. Views. oh yeah
1: <laughs> unless he's got some kinky weird shit
0: <laughs> maybe he said something that he knew he was definitely going to get wrong just to get a few takers <laughs> to come along but what what they uh you know, the the radio man Fazlullah started doing then was he uh, started like congratulating girls who dropped out of school. He says, you know, Miss X of Village Y, she stopped going to class at grade five. I congratulate her or Miss So-and-so, she stopped going to school and now she will go to heaven. So they were really like a lot of girls were slowly dropping out of school because of these people's views, but they called Malala and people like her, the girls who were still going to school, they labeled them the buffaloes and the sheep.
1: Yeah, that's not good. So Malala was thinking, why is this so wrong? Like, Why do they want girls to go to the school? Her father said, they're scared of the pen, which is an interesting metaphor. I think her father always talks about like the pen as if it's a weapon. that can go mm. against people uh, throughout the book. But really, everyone around her was starting to drop like flies. So, for example, another teacher at her school, um, and he had long hair, he said, I'm not teaching any girls at this school. And of course, the dad, he didn't stand for that, and he fired him straight away. And really, at every step of the way, her father would not step down.
0: Malala's mother said to her, you know, you should be wearing this perda, you know, this head coverings and face coverings. She, the mother would tell her, you know, hide your face, people are looking at you. But Malala always replied, well, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm looking back at them too. And Malala was always standing up for her own sort of personal freedoms.
1: Well, what age is she here? She's like 10. 10? She's 10 like or 11. 10, 10 yeah. or 11 at this stage and saying things like that. So there's a bit of a, a lion... Deep down, really, you can, you can say at this stage. And Fazla, he just started getting more and more extreme. He said, on this Eid, which is a bit of a holiday period, he said, two-legged animals will be sacrificed today. <laughs>
0: That's, at first, you're thinking, because normally, you know, they might be, you know, sacrificing a goat or a sheep as part of the festival. But when you're saying two-legged animals, you might be thinking, oh, what's, a, what's a two-legged animal, like a chicken or something? But then they realise, oh... He's talking about humans. Yeah, humans. <laughs> And they went, they went out and did a bit of a roundup. They kind of picked out a lot of the secular and nationalist parties, uh, like the uh, ANP, the Awami National Party. One of, the, one of a friend of a friend of theirs was kidnapped in his village by 80 masked gunmen. Uh, he was a very wealthy family, and they found him a day later, dumped in his family's ancestral graveyard. His arms and legs had all been broken, and basically they went on a bit of a roundup. To, uh, they were getting pretty serious here.
1: Yeah, well, very, very serious. Like if you're someone you know, a friend of a friend starting to die, starting to get pretty close to home Mm -hmm. and the stakes just kept rising and rising and the danger seemed to become, to creep closer and closer to where they were. So even Fazla's, I think I've pronounced his name different every time, but his headquarters, (laughs) they were just a few miles away and even though the Taliban weren't next door in the street, you'd always sense that they were creeping closer to where they were.
0: Initially, the authorities had turned a bit of a a blind eye over the first one or two incidents that happened, but eventually the, the Pakistan army had come into their village or their valley to try to drive out the Taliban. They wanted to drive them out of Pakistan and back into Afghanistan. It was a bit of a fierce battle. Both sides gained ground at different points. There was a hell of a lot of bloodshed. Ultimately, the army won the first battle. The Taliban subsided a bit. But the problem was if uh, you know Robert Greene's 33 strategies of law, they didn't go all the way. So they, the Taliban, they kind of subsided. They went back into hiding, but they didn't drive them out of the country altogether.
1: So the Taliban, they started fighting the war differently. They started targeting politicians, MPs and the police and all the ones who weren't observing Sharia law or just not even wearing a, a long enough beard or any of that extreme stuff that they weren't adhering to. They'd sort of start picking them off. So it was very dark days. And the only thing that kept... Malala going through this period was school. She carried her books everywhere with her and when she saw someone from the Taliban, she'd have to hide them away. And their family culture even, even had their father saying things like, the most beautiful thing in a village in the morning is the sight of a child in a school uniform. But, you know, it's at that point now where they're too afraid to wear the uniform.
0: They were moving up, they were getting closer to high school and the school had kind of been a haven from all the horrors that were going on outside around them in the streets, sort of every day. But the schools were becoming under threat too. A lot of the girls continued to drop out of school. Fazlullah, with his uh, illegal radio show, kept broadcasting that the girls should be staying home, and if they didn't stay home, his men would start roaming around town and start blowing up schools.
1: So this is some wild stuff. You could only well, it was very hard to imagine if you were going through this. Uh, I'd say for most of us who have never gone in a situation like this, you're probably going to shut shut the hell up and sort of just get in your shell because mm. there's real stakes on the line. And this isn't obviously what happened to Malala and her father because he had a, actually a poem that he kept in his pocket by Martin Niemoller, and he lived in Nazi Germany. You say it's very, very similar what they're going through here than what, you know, Nazi Germany went through. I believe Hitler started off as a moderate and then got more and more extreme to the day. Everyone's like, Jesus, is it going this far? And mm-hmm. and it actually got to that point. But the quote said, first they came for the communists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Catholic. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Yeah. Pretty powerful quote.
0: Very powerful quote. It's, uh, it's easier to sort of turn a blind eye. You know, Fazlul is saying young girls shouldn't be going to school. It's easier to just ignore that because you're not a young girl trying to go to school. But the more it kind of ramps up and gets closer and closer soon there might be not too many people left to speak up for you if you're one of the people they target next.
1: And it really came to their doorstep about what they should do because the media was around and they were sort of jumping on anyone who would speak up, who had the courage to do it. Everyone was scared. You know, They'd love to speak to someone who's young, but obviously the parents said, I'm not letting my mm. child speak to the media because I'm going to make them too too dangerous. But they obviously had a very unique family because... They obviously had a father who wasn't scared and who stood by her daughter. And then they obviously had a daughter who had the heart of a lion, mm, you could say.
0: Absolutely. She started giving interviews to the media. Obviously, she was a little bit scared, but she was uh, she was brave enough to continue to keep going to school and keep giving more and more interviews. And the more interviews she gave, the stronger she felt support was coming from all around her. She was only 11, but she looked older and obviously a lot more mature. The media loved hearing You know, a a real story from a young girl, not just somebody talking about what it's like to be a young girl, but actually a young girl herself. And in her heart, she kind of felt, you know, she was going to be protected. She was speaking up for her rights, you know, the rights of herself and the rights of all girls. She wasn't doing anything wrong. She was doing things by her religion, by her God as she believed it. And she thought, you know, not only did she have the ability to do it, but she actually almost like had the duty and the responsibility to do this for, for all girls in her country.
1: So, as she was speaking, at the same time, the Taliban was still ramping things up and it got to the point where they said that no girls in our country can go to school anymore. So, it's like she was thinking, how the hell can they let 50,000 girls from going to school in the 21st century? And you could imagine right now, right? You got uh, Malala who's speaking on these little radio interviews and things like that and um She's pretty much just talking, going toe-to-toe with the Taliban indirectly at this stage as Taliban are ramping up
0: their laws. She kept holding out hope that, you know, something would happen, somebody would step in, someone would intervene, that, you know, surely they're not going to close down all the schools. But finally, sort of deadline day arrived. It was the 14th of January, the day that Fazlullah and the Taliban said that, you know, this is the last day and uh, their school closed. They swore they'd be the last school to close. They kind of stayed open as long as they possibly could, but eventually they also succumbed to the pressure and closed the school, and that was kind of it uh, for now for Malala's schooling.
1: So on this day, the journalists wanted to find out what the people in the community thought of this, and the stakes were risen uh, again now on the global stage because the New York Times had rocked up and thought, what the hell is going on here? And they're the ones who went straight to Malala's house and again, she had the decision because if she's gone on this global scale, remember the Taliban hate the West, and she's speaking to the Western media about the Taliban. She's really starting to put a target on her own, her own head at this stage.
0: She didn't want to stop learning. You know, she was she was 11 years old, and she kind of felt like she was losing everything. She was losing her schooling. She was losing out on all the knowledge that she could have learned. She was losing out on opportunities. So it was pretty important to her. But she said. You know, she kind of believed or she hoped that, you know, the Taliban they're not gonna go through with this. Surely they're just like politicians, you know, they talk and talk and talk, but they won't actually do anything. And she kept saying this whole time through to all her friends to all the media, no, it's not actually gonna happen. We're still gonna go to school. But really when the the day when that that finally came and the school actually did close, it was a pretty tough day for her.
1: So she told the New York Times, Education
0: is education.
1: We should learn everything and then choose which path to follow. Education is neither eastern nor western it is human and the mother who's a bit more traditional is getting worried because malala's saying all this with her face uncovered and really out there open to the
0: world four days after this ban on girls schools uh five schools were destroyed you know they were bombed and malala's thinking, what, what the hell everyone's you know everyone's kind of done what you want to do the girls have stopped going to school but still they're destroying schools it was it was pretty confusing to her they were still just really, uh, I guess, distraught. They were confused. Where's this going next? What's going to happen next? Eventually, the the public pressure was kind of turning against the Taliban, saying, you know, this is this is a bit much, guys. Come on, ease up a bit. And the public pressure kind of built to demand the Taliban just to ease their harsh rules a little bit. So they thought, okay, we'll ease it a tiny bit. Instead of a blanket ban of no girls in school, we're going to say, okay, you're allowed to go to school up to 10. Any girl older than 10 is not allowed to go to school.
1: And what Malala was... 11, in Mm. year five. So again, she went against their orders and sort of snuck into the school and trying to look younger than she was, dressing in a different way so she could sneak in and just keep getting her education. So this stage, she's really on the global scale and she was starting to be nominated for awards around the world. So one in 2011, which was a children's advocacy group in Amsterdam called Kids Rights, Uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa, was speaking her name, and her her voice really was becoming stronger and stronger on the global scale about her criticisms
0: of the Taliban. She didn't win that award, but it was uh, a pretty epic one to be nominated for. But then what she did do, she won Pakistan's first ever National Peace Prize. that would be a pretty massive thing to win. A lot of the times you think that'd be an awesome achievement, and it obviously was an awesome achievement, but also like a lot of her family and her friends were thinking... It's a good achievement, but it's also a bloody big target as well. It's kind of ramping ramping up the publicity, ramping up the focus. It's a, I suppose, a, yeah, it's a blessing and a curse.
1: And all this came to a T on Tuesday, the 9th, October 2012. It wasn't the best of his days because anyone who's been to school and middle school, you got your exams and it's not the best because you're so nervous of it. But she got through it. She did pretty well on the exam and then... Went back on the bus to go
0: home. There's two bus trips um, taking kids home every day. They normally got the first one, but this time, you know, a friend said, "Oh, we've just had our exam. Let's let's chill out for a bit. Let's get the second bus today." And uh, Malala, she was a bit hungry, but because she was she was 15 at this stage, she was no longer allowed to go outside on the street. So she got one of the one of the young boys to go out and buy her a corn cob from one of the street stalls, uh, and they were just kind of hanging out, having fun, just chilling. And when the bus came along and it was time to jump on the bus to go home, all the girls covered their faces before they emerged out the front door of the school and climbed into the bus. But of course, Malala, you know, she wore a scarf over her head, but she never covered her face.
1: So they're on the bus. The road up the small hill is usually busy as it's a shortcut, but that day was really quiet for some strange reason. Malala's thinking, where the hell are all the people out on the street? And at the same time on the bus, there was all the normal jovial uh, banter that goes on. All the girls were singing and chatting and their voices were bouncing around on the bus. They couldn't really see at the very front of the bus. But what happened was uh, a bloke with light-coloured clothes stepped into the middle of the road and, and waved
0: the bus down. He said to the driver, is this the Kushal school bus? And the driver said, well, that's a bit of a fucking stupid question. It's written on the side, yeah, yeah this is of the bus. It is. Uh, he said, well, I need some information about some children on this bus. And the bus driver said, well, you know, go to the school office and find out. There's nothing I can tell you here. And then, you know, whilst this was going on at the front of the bus, another bloke uh, had popped out and it was heading towards the back of the bus while the driver was sort of occupied. And one of the girls spotted this bloke approaching the, the back of the bus. And uh, they said, oh, look, it's one of those journalists. Oh, he's probably, you know, all these journalists that you're speaking to, Malala, maybe it's probably someone else coming along to do an interview.
1: So, he was a pretty weird-looking journalist because he had a peaked cap and had a handkerchief over his nose and mouth as if he had the flu. Uh, That's what they thought. And he looks like a college student because he was so young. But he, he ran onto the bus and leaned right over toward them and said, Hey, who of you is Malala?
0: No one said anything. But there were a few sneaky glances looking sideways across to Malala just to see what she was doing. And, of course, she was the only one without her face covered. So it was, uh, he probably could take a fair guess which one was Malala. That's when he lifted up a black pistol. You know, he lifted up his Colt 45. Some of the girls screamed. One of her, Malala's friends said that she squeezed her hand a little bit, but she tried to remain calm. And then there was three shots, one after another. The first went through a left eye socket and out underneath her shoulder. She's kind of then slumped forward. Blood was coming from her left ear, so the other two bullets hit a girl either side of her. Uh, one went into her friend's left hand. The other went through the other friend's left shoulder and across through her right arm. And later, the friends were saying that the gunman's hand was, was shaking so much as he fired. It's kind of no wonder he sort of it was a bit hit and miss uh, with his shots. And by the time she went to hospital, all her long hair was really, and also her friend's lap, they were just full of blood.
1: As soon as they realized what had happened, the bus went off at top speed to try and get to the hospital. Everyone was crying and screaming at this stage. Obviously, uh, Malala, she was blacked out, didn't know what was going on. She was bleeding from her head, so a bloody bullet went through her head at Mm. this stage. You'd think she'd be gone as by now, but she's still hanging on. And her left ear, some idiot policeman, man, he... (laughs) Who does this? He stopped the van. He started asking questions. Wait, what happened here? Where's it? And wasted about five or 10 minutes of precious time. They could have been at the hospital. And someone put their hand on Malala's neck and found there was a pulse. She's still alive. We need to get at the bloody hospital. And this sort of policeman almost ruined everything. (laughs) That's
0: right. Eventually, they did get to the local hospital. But this small local hospital was really not equipped for such a serious injury as a bullet to the head. Uh, So, she was taken via ambulance to the helipad where she got a helicopter to the big city. Even the big city was not really equipped to handle this. So, eventually, she got a private jet across to Birmingham in the UK to get some... uh, It was obviously going to be pretty serious treatment by this time.
1: Yeah, well, because she was on the global stage that uh, the whole world was watching and knew what happened. and they were happy to throw any support they can because Malala was such a, a figurehead by this point that they wanted her to survive. So, that's... She got a private jet, which in normal circumstances is pretty exciting, but in this circumstance is, is pretty outrageous. And that's where she woke up. She woke up in a different country, in Birmingham, because she had some of the best medical doctors around to really try and get her through here and actually survive this, this crazy moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it was uh, really the Taliban's big plan that really backfired. You know, we talk about how things happen for different reasons. Malala says this kind of happened to her and this was really put a spotlight on education for females uh, and Islamic rights. She was speaking up within her country because, you know, she just wanted herself and all the other Muslim women to be able to go to school. And this Taliban attack, all it did really, it wasn't silence her, which they hoped to do, but what they did was really elevate it to the global scale.
1: Yeah, the Taliban thought they would put a bullet through her head brutally and wipe her out, but all it had done is she'd survived it somehow and because she survived it, it made her campaign for women's education global. So the Taliban, they really just shot themselves in the foot. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh, metaphorically compared <laughs> to what they did to Malala. There you That's go. right.
0: While well, she was lying in that uh, hospital bed, there. Gordon Brown, who was a former UK prime minister, he set up this petition and the petition was called I am Malala and the petition was to demand all countries around the world that no child be denied schooling by the year 2015. Then uh, she started popping up you know, I suppose one thing to have the uh, former British Prime Minister in your corner. Yeah, compared to the other stars around the world, <laughs> you probably don't care about the Gordon. That's right. And then she started, Then she saw there was probably a few more exciting things. She got a handwritten card from Beyonce. Uh, Selena Gomez tweeted about her, and she even had a video message from her favorite actress and social activist, Angelina Jolie. So it was definitely global scale. Yeah, good to have a couple of Prime Ministers in your corner, but probably to Malala, it was probably a bit more exciting to have Beyonce and Angelina Jolie fighting for her, I reckon. So, some people choose good
1: ways of life, some people choose bad ways in life. Uh, For Malala, she was on the receiving end of someone who chose the wrong way about doing life because once the bullet hit her, it swelled her brain, it stole her hearing, it cut the nerve of the left side of her face in the space of the second and after that, there was actually millions of people around the world praying for her life and talented doctors who gave her own body back.
0: You know, One Talib fires three shots at point-blank range at three girls in a van, doesn't kill any of them. Seems like a pretty unlikely story. People say that Malala made for a miraculous recovery as well from such an extreme condition. Malala believes that God stopped her from going to the grave, which is obviously the same God that the Taliban man thought he was fighting for as well. She really feels like she had a second life. You know, people prayed to God to spare her and she was spared for this reason. And the reason she says that she's got a second life is really to use it to help others.
1: Yeah, so that that whole experience of what happened it gave her a little microphone in the interviews and now she'd been granted a megaphone. Mm-hmm. And again the Taliban have still got a target on her cuz it's 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 target number 1 really. And mm-hmm. even then she's got the choice right after getting a bullet to the head. I go all right I'm going to just quiet up now. And she did quite the opposite with what, in her mind, a gift. So she went all around the world at this point, And this is really where she became more, more famous and speaking about women's education from America, India, France, Spain, Italy, Austria, and many other places. And at the time of writing, she said she'd been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize and being the youngest person ever
0: to do so. Yeah, and we know that uh, not long after that book came out, that she obviously won it and was the youngest ever winner. She used to receive, you know, prizes for her school at work. You know, she'd get the big A plus, or she'd be the best in the class, and she was working hard for them. Now these were pretty different, you know, prizes that she was getting on the on the global scale. That she was like, she's kind of grateful for the awards, but she knows that it's really just a reminder of how much work there still needs to be done to achieve the goal of education for every boy and every girl all around the world.
1: Yeah, she doesn't want to be thought of a girl who was just shot by the Taliban. She wants to be the girl who fought for education. This is the cause that she's dedicating the rest of her life. She's got a wild speech here she gave to the UN. And I highly, highly recommend watching the documentary because I think reading the books is one thing, but actually seeing her mm. speak, it's like, wow, she is so bloody powerful. It's insane. But in a much more powerful voice than mine, she said, <laughs> let us pick up our books and our pens. Uh, They are our most powerful weapons. One child, one teacher, one book and one pen can change the world. And when you're doing a speech to the UN, you're a bit nervous about how that's going to, if it's going to be a flop, it wasn't a flop because everyone got on their feet and gave her a big standing ovation and her father and mother and everyone was in tears because of it.
0: It's a big struggle Uh, around the world at the time of writing. There were 57 million children who were not in primary school, 32 million of them girls in her own country in Pakistan. It's one of the worst places, 5.1 million children don't even go to primary school, even though it is the, the constitutional right that every child has, uh, and they have almost 50 million illiterate adults as a result, and two-thirds of those are women.
1: Yeah, so there's still so much work to do. Girls are continuing to be killed, and schools are still getting blown up, even in 2022. And after all this, there's still stories of shooting attacks and bombing attacks uh, at all-girls colleges. One, for example had a suicide bomber who blew up a bus taking 40 pupils to an all-girls college.
0: Education is for every boy and every girl in the world. To sit down in a chair, to read their books with their friends is their right. And for Ma, her wish is to see each and every human being with a big smile of happiness while they're sitting there reading their books.